We're continuing our series on Matthew 5 through 7, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a long extended teaching that Jesus did uh, with with lots of good stuff in there. And, And like we talked about last week and we talked about other weeks, that throughout this time Jesus is raising the standards. He's 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 giving a message to people there who are very familiar with the Jewish laws of the time. And he's talking about those laws, and then he's saying, but now I'm going to raise the standards, and you've been doing this, but now I'm going to tell you that here's something else that you ought to do on top of that. And a lot of the instructions that he gives in these passages that we've been reading are very different than what we're used to hearing on a day-in and day-out basis. And in fact, a lot of what he tells us in here is, is kind of the opposite of, of what we expect, or it's the opposite of, of what comes natural to us. You know, there, there are a lot of things that, that come natural to us. Um, one is when you wake up in the morning, you stretch. Does anybody stretch? Now, I'm not talking about like getting down and stretching like you do before you go on a run. I'm talking about you're just laying in bed, and before you can get out, you just do one of these, uh, you know, and you stretch everything, and get everything as stretched out as, as, as far as possible. No one, I do that every morning when I wake up. No one ever taught me. My parents, when I was a kid, didn't say, now, Cliff, before you rise out of bed, be sure that you stretch every muscle in your body. It just comes natural to me. It's just something I've always done. Um, if someone puts something in front of my nose and I smell it and it smells terrible, my natural reaction is to go like that and just do my head back. That's the same thing for you. There's not one of you that smells something nasty and just goes, hmm, that is delicious, right? And <clears throat> no one had to teach you to jerk your head back when something smelled. By the way, one of my policies in life, I have a few policies. One of them is if you come up to me and say, smell this, I don't smell it. That's just one of my policies, all right? So just so you know that. But, but it comes natural just to jerk your head back. There's a lot of things that come natural to us. Well, in the passage of Scripture that we're going to talk about today, Jesus also addresses something else that comes natural to us. See, one of the things that comes natural to us is to retaliate, is to get even with somebody. When somebody does something to us, it is natural for us to do something back to them. No one had to teach us that. If someone shoves a little kid, nine times out of ten, you know what that little kid is going to do unless his parents have taught him different? He's shoving back. No one has to teach you that when you come into this world. If someone calls you fat, your natural reaction is to say, yeah, well, you're ugly and I can go on a diet, but you're stuck with that nasty face the rest of your life. That's, that's what we do. It's, it's natural for us to retaliate. And, and no one ever had to teach us that. It's something that comes natural to us. Getting even, retaliation, those things come natural to us. Well, the passage of Scripture we're going to read today Jesus talks about that, and he turns all of that stuff on its head. Everything that we think we should do, he basically tells us to do the opposite of. So if you've got your, you've got your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be up here on the screen, uh, and you can look at that. Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 38. And it says this, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now Jesus starts this by saying, you have heard that it was said. And if you've been reading, if you've been coming to these 
to these messages we've done, if you've been reading along in Matthew 5 through 7, you know that Jesus says that a lot. He starts off a lot of this teaching by saying, you have heard that it was said. And what he's referring to is the old law that all of his listeners were familiar with. The old law that the Jews tried to live their life by. And so he said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is part of the law that God gave. If you go back and look at Exodus 21 or Deuteronomy 19, you find it in both places. Now, the first time I ever heard about eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, I can remember I was in middle school and because I never heard about it in Sunday school. And unfortunately, by the time I got to middle school, I still had not read all of the Old Testament, so I didn't know that it said that in there. But I remember being in middle school and our teacher talking about a dude back in Mesopotamia named Hammurabi. And Hammurabi had this code, and he was the first, he was like the father of, of codif- or codified, is it codified or codified? Anyway, laws that you write down. He was the father of that. Now, his brother, M.C. Hammurabi, was like the father of hip-hop. Just kidding. I could not resist that. He had big, you know, he was the first guy to wear big pants and cut lines on the side of his head. Anyway. Uh, but Hammurabi, he came up with this code and said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And I'll never forget being in middle school And hearing the teacher say that this was not the only place that it was, that it was also found in the Bible. And as a kid, I was thinking, that's in the Bible? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Because I had never heard that before. And it didn't sound very merciful to me. It didn't sound like something that God would put in the Bible. But what you need to understand about eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth in the Old Testament is it was actually put in place so that people would be merciful because what was happening is just like what happened today. If somebody, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth says, you slap me, I get to slap you back. But what was happening was, you slap me, I kill you, I burn your house down, I shoot your dog. That's what was going on, as people were going over the top with their retaliation. And so when God put in place eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, he was saying, we're going to keep this thing controlled. And so Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So they were all familiar with that. But then, once again, Jesus raises the standard. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Then in verse 40, he says, And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Or or sometimes it says, sue you and take your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. Now this goes back to an old time thing that went on that if, if, let's say, I thought you owed me something, I would say I'm going to take you to court. Now, in the meantime, to make sure that you're going to show up in court, as I demand that you give me your shirt, and I hold that as collateral, and then when we go to court, if, if it's found in favor of me, then, then I get to keep your shirt and you pay me whatever else you owe me. If it's found in favor of you, I give you your shirt back, and I guess we say, hey, you know, we'll still be buds even though I tried to sue you. I don't know how it would happen after that, but that's, it would take your shirt. That's where we get the phrase, taking the shirt off of somebody's back. He took the shirt off his back. And Jesus, once again, he raises the standard. He said, you know how it works in the world today. If you get sued, give somebody your shirt. But I say, also, give them your cloak. Basically, give them everything you've got to protect you from the elements. You've, got, you've taken your shirt, give them your coat too. Now you're out in the elements with nothing on. Then in verse 41, Jesus says this, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now back in that day, where the, where the folks that Jesus was teaching, back in Israel, where they lived, they were an occupied country. The, the, the country of Rome had taken over. And so everywhere they went, there were these Roman soldiers. 
And a Roman soldier, it was the law that was something called conscription, that a Roman, a Roman soldier could come up to any Jewish man who was above the, a certain age, and he could say to him, I want you to carry my gear for me one mile. And by law, you had to do that. So you had to take all of his stuff, whatever it was that he had, his armor, his sword, all that kind of stuff, <clears throat> and you had to walk with him for a mile. Now, you can imagine what the Jewish men thought about this. They probably hated it. They felt degraded and disrespected when they were asked to do this. And Jesus, once again, he raises the standards. And he says, don't just go one mile when someone comes up to you and does that, when a soldier does that. Go with them two miles. Now, in every one of these examples, here's three examples of, three examples of, of people being disrespected, people being uh, harmed, people being put in discomfort. And in every example, Jesus' instructions to his listeners was, do the opposite of what comes natural to you. Someone slaps you on the cheek, your natural reaction is you're going to bust them upside the head. That's the natural reaction. It's been that way since Adam and Eve. It's the way we're, that's the way we come into the world. And Jesus said, someone slaps you on the cheek, do what is opposite of what you want to do, which is turn to them the other cheek. Someone takes something from you, you want to take something from them. Jesus says, if someone takes your shirt, then you give them your coat as well. Someone wants to make you walk one, one, one mile that you don't want to walk, that's, that's against what you believe in. Jesus says, don't just walk one mile, walk two miles. Every reaction that he tells us to have is opposite of what we would normally do. And then in verse 42, he sums it up with a very unnatural commandment and a commandment that really, for most of us, sounds uh, just completely foreign. It says this, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. There's a um, movie that I love that came out in the late 80s called The Untouchables. I don't know if you've ever seen The Untouchables. It has Kevin Costner in it and Sean Connery, and it's about Elliot Ness and back in Chicago, back when uh, Al Capone was in charge of Chicago. And Elliot Ness is this guy he's trying to, he's a He's an, uh, a, an agent for one of the, I forget it's which, it's not the police, but something else. And he's trying to take down Scarface, and he's trying to follow all the rules. And there's this great scene where he meets with Sean Connery, who plays a cop named Jimmy Malone, and they're sitting there in a church of all places, and he's talking about what can we do to beat Scarface. And Jimmy Malone's character tells him, he gives him the instructions, he says, you've got to quit playing by the rules. He says, you know, if, if he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. But he says it much cooler because he's got that Sean Connery, like, you know, I, don't, I can't even, but however Sean Connery would say it. And he says it to him. And it's so cool sounding. And when I saw that the first time, and when I see it every other time, I think, yeah, that's the way to live life right there, man. Somebody does something to you, you come back twice as hard. Somebody, and that's the way, and we, we relate to that, don't we? That resonates with us. I know maybe more so men than women, but women, you, you do it too. You just do it like in a sneakier way. And you, sta you stab your friend in the back for the rest of their life and never let them forget about it. Because y'all are just as bad as we are. But we want to get back at people. And that's the way we want to live our lives. That's the way we operate. And when we read what Jesus says here, we read when he says, turn the other cheek, give someone your coat, walk two miles instead of one mile. What we understand here is that the way that Jesus has called us to live is very different than the way we live. The way that he has told us to relate to other people is very different than we normally relate to other people. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, and see, that's the term that I like to use. 
That's the term that we use a lot here at this church. I like that word a lot better than saying I'm a Christian. Because when someone says they're a Christian, that can mean any number of things. People who grew up in the Mormon church say they're Christians. And if you've ever studied anything that they study, it's very different than what we believe. It's not Orthodox Christianity. People, Lots of people can claim to be Christians. Lots of people can claim to be believers. I like the term follower of Jesus because in the New Testament, when Jesus would go up to someone who he wanted to be one of his disciples, what did he say to them? He said, follow me. And they got up and they followed him. And Jesus has called us to be his followers. And Luke 9, 23 says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And the thing is, if we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to begin to relate to people the way Jesus has instructed us to relate to them. And one of the things that we learn when you read through Matthew 5, 38 through 48, when you read other things that Jesus taught, one of the things that we learn is that when we follow Jesus, we give up our personal rights. When we follow Jesus, we give up our personal rights. Now, I understand that the moment that that came out of my mouth and went into your ear and your brain processed that there are some of you sitting there thinking, I don't know if I like that or not. Because we live in a country, the whole daggum country that we live in is based on people having their rights to do things. That's the reason this country began. As we started off, people wanted to have the right to worship freely. And so that's why things got started. And, and, and we fight for civil rights and we fight for all kind of rights. Even when I was in high school, people were fighting for their right to party, right, with the Beastie Boys. So, so we fight for our rights. That's what, that's what we believe in. And we think that this is mine. I deserve it. Why? Because I'm an American and I have rights and you can't tell me that I can't have it. And so when I say to you that following Jesus means we're giving up our personal rights, there's a part of that that just doesn't sit well. And I understand that. And here's, here's what I know, that it's hard to hear that. It's hard for us to hear that when we follow Jesus, we give up our personal rights, but it's a whole lot harder to live. It's hard to hear, but it's even harder to live. But the, the, what Jesus has called us to do, He's called us to follow Him, and by following Him, to then be content with only Him. That if everything else was taken away, if you lost your house, you lost your family, you lost your boat, you lost your job, you lost all your money, if all you had left is Jesus, that He has called us to be content with that, to be content with only Him. Now, here's something that I know, and I have not lived as long as some of you. I've lived longer than others of you. But here's something that I know to be true. When you are in relationship with people, and it doesn't matter who the people are, they can be church people, they can be people you work with, they can be your family, they can be your husband, your wife, they can be your kids. Anybody that you're in a relationship, when you're in a relationship with people, you are going to be hurt, you're going to be taken advantage of, and you're going to be cheated. And here's all, what else I know. You are going, I am going, to hurt people, take advantage of people, and cheat people. That's what happens when we relate to each other because we all are sinful. We all have this huge sin problem that gets in the way of our relationships. And what Jesus has called us to do is when we get hurt, when we get cheated, when we get taken advantage of, instead of retaliating and coming back and trying to get even with somebody, He says that we are supposed to give up our personal rights and trust in Him to deal with what's happened to us. 
See, what we want is we want justice. Somebody does us wrong, then they have to pay for that. And that's, the what, that's what we want. But I've learned two things about myself, and maybe you're different than me. But over the years, I've learned two things about myself in regards to justice that I want for people. The first thing I've learned is that I'm terrible at administering justice. I'm terrible at it. Because what I want to do is I want to be too harsh, or I will punish the wrong people, or I will always just go way, way, way too far or hold on to it too long. I'm terrible at administering justice. And the second thing I've learned about myself when it comes to justice is that I want justice for other people, but I want mercy for myself. Someone does me wrong, dadgummit, they're going to pay. And they should pay because they did this. But if I mess up, well, now you ought to forgive me because I really didn't mean it. And deep down, I'm a good guy. And I, I'm not going to do it again. And I really don't even understand why I did it the first time. And that's the way I am. Is that I want justice for somebody else. But when it comes to me, I want mercy. And I want forgiveness. And I know none of y'all are like that. Chances are we all are like that. And we're terrible administering justice. And so when, when, the, when Jesus talks about this, he says that we should trust him because we can't administer justice anyway. We trust him to right the wrongs. We trust him to bring justice in his time. And, and we trust him to, to give us the strength to give mercy when things are done to us instead of giving justice. But we've got to let him do it. Now, I'm going to go to, go to uh, uh, Matthew 5.43. Because Jesus just told us all those things that seem really weird. Now he's going to raise the standards even more. He says this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now wait just a second. Now I told you a while ago, every time he says you've heard that it was said, that's a law. The love your neighbor part is a law. That's part, that you can find that in Leviticus 19 if you go back and look in the Old Testament. The hate your enemy part is never in the law. God never instructed us to hate our enemies. But what Jesus is saying there is he said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, because that was the common practice of the day. The people of the day, they hated their enemies. And, and when you think about enemies, you know, today we don't really think that much about having enemies. Uh, you know, I don't know if you watch, I watch the Big Bang Theory, Sheldon Cooper has a list of his mortal enemies. And uh, most of us aren't like that. We don't have a list of enemies. And most of us, if you ask us, I said, who's your enemies? Like, man, I ain't got no enemies. I love everybody. Everybody loves me, right? We, we don't, it's all good. We don't have enemies anymore. But in that day, when Jesus said, love your enemy, he, that, to the folks that were there, it was very, very real to them because like I said, they were an occupied country. So they saw the Roman government. They saw these Roman soldiers. They saw the Roman tax collectors. Those people were their enemies. And they didn't, they didn't love them. They hated them. And so when it said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And then he says in verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now he says, pray for those who persecute you. Now the people in that time, they were really good at praying for the Romans. But they weren't praying for them, they were praying against them. They were praying things like that God would bring justice on them, that God would kill all of them, that God would overthrow the Roman government. And here's Jesus saying, no, 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 don't pray that, pray for them. Pray for their good. Pray blessings on them. Pray that they would have a great day. Pray all that kind of stuff. And the Jews were probably thinking, man, you've got to be out of your mind. 
These people hate us. We hate them. They took over our country. We don't want to pray for them. We want to pray against them. But again, Jesus is showing us that it's not about retaliating. It's about walking in His way. It's about following Him. And then He goes on to say in verse 46, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, that means we walk in the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is the way of unconditional love. The way of Jesus is the way of unconditional love. See, the way of Jesus is the way of out of control, unbridled, makes no sense, over-the-top love. That's what it is. And we don't usually operate like that, especially with people who have done us wrong. See, in verse 46 and 48, he says to love those uh, who, who, um, who hate us. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? If, if you were here today and I asked you, right, what, is, what is the greatest love that you will ever experience? If you're a Whitney Houston fan, you'll say it's learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all, right? I know I've got like a million 80s references in here today, but that's where I was raised, okay? Learning, but it's not learning to love yourself. If, if I asked you, what is the greatest love in your life? If you're a parent, chances are you're going to say, oh, my babies. And I've heard it a million times, and I've said it. I didn't really know what it was like to love until I held that baby for the first time. Mamas, do you agree with me on that? There's a bunch of mamas in here who are like, oh yeah, and you would. You'll do anything. You want to you you know, you see a woman go crazy? Try to do something to their child. A, a normally in-control woman will be killing people and you know, blowing stuff up and everything. I can remember the maddest I ever saw my mom get was when somebody did something to me. When I was a kid, my mom just under control. You mess with her babies, somebody's going to pay for that, right? And so that's what we would say that's the greatest love that there is for our children. But I, I would say that that's probably the most intense love. That's, that's, the, that's the, the strongest love that you might feel when you talk about feeling love. But what Jesus says is the greatest love. He said the greatest love is loving people who don't deserve it. The greatest love is, is to love people who don't love you. The greatest love is to love someone who's intentionally hurt you and wants to intentionally hurt you again. So he says if you love the people that love you, you're, everybody does that. That takes no effort. Anybody can do that. But the greatest love is loving your enemies. And I told you a while ago that, that um, most of us don't have enemies. We don't think about things in terms of enemies. And I would be the same way. I would tell you I don't have any enemies. But I want to tell you a, a story that happened to me, a very personal story. Um, we had a, there was a, um, we, over the years, our church has been established. We've been up and running for uh, I don't know, eight years, nine years, sometime, some, somebody tell me, but it's, it's been a while. More than five years, less than ten years. And over the years, we've had people come and go and that kind of thing, and that's, that's cool, that's what people do in church nowadays. And, um, but we had one family that came, and, um, and when they left, I wanted them to leave. I was glad that they left. I thanked Jesus that they left every day, and I prayed for the pastor of the next church they went to. And here's why. Because when they were here, they talked bad about me every opportunity they got. They, um, they sent emails out 
about how the church was going in the wrong direction and I was a terrible leader. They even had some meetings at their house and gathered people together to talk about how freedom was going in the wrong direction and I was a terrible leader and I was, t- you know, mean and all this. Kind of, I mean, just, they just did lots of stuff behind my back. And so, now I said, you know, I don't ever think of having enemies. But when they, they left, I, I thought, I guess they kind of were my enemy. And so I started trying to think about, all right, I need to love them. I need to pray for them. And that was difficult to do. And I got to a point where I felt like, you know what, I really do. I'm I'm over that now. I want what's best for them, that kind of thing. And then one day, I ran into them in a car. No, I'm just kidding. uh, (laughs) And then I backed up and ran into them again. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I I was out at a public place. I was out at a public place, and, and, and here's what was bad. I didn't see them from a distance. You know, if I had seen them from a distance, I could have, like, summoned up the courage and, you know, maybe said a short prayer of, okay, Jesus, help me with this. But I'm walking, and all of a sudden, they come out of nowhere, and the guy comes up, and he starts, he greets me like we're old pals, like we were college roommates that loved each other. And that, I mean, just, you know, sl- hey, man, how you doing? All this stuff. And, and in that moment... It took everything that I had not to punch him in the face. I'm not lying to you. And, and, and when I went to speak to him, it took everything I had to speak words that, that I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to lay a string of cuss words on that dude that would have made Joe Pesci blush. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what I wanted to do. And, and so we had this very short conversation because I did not go any further with it. I did not want it to be long. And after they left, I remember being in my car and riding home and thinking to myself, I realized, I realized at that moment how far I had to go. I realized how far I had to go if I was going to live out what these verses say. That, that how short that I came up when it came to praying for those who persecute you for loving your enemies, for turning the other cheek, for walking two miles instead of one mile, for giving someone your coat. I realized that I I was way far off and I realized that I couldn't do it. That I was incapable on my own, was incapable of loving my enemies. I was incapable of praying for those who persecute you. In verse 48 there, Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore is your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm going to tell you, you can't do that by yourself. See, I know. I know what the Scripture says, and I know it from talking to people. I know it from personal experience. I know that forgiving people when they do you wrong is a better way to live. I know that turning the other cheek is a better way to live. I know all that. But in that moment, in that moment when I was face to face, I was coming up so short because I was trying to do that on my own. See, the the only hope that we have to do what Matthew 38 and 48, 5, 38 through 48 says, the only hope that we have to be able to do that is to trust in Jesus and trust in what He did on the cross. And that is, see, that's where this all comes together. Because these 10 verses, Matthew 38, 5, 38 through 48, these 10 verses are inspirational. We can learn from what they say. But the reason these verses are powerful 
is because everything Jesus instructed us to do, He did it when He was crucified. Turn the other cheek, He did that. Give up your clothes, they were taken from Him. He could have taken them back, but He let them take them. Walked two miles, He walked more than two miles and He did it with a cross on His back. Love your enemies, That's the whole reason He was on the cross is because people who hated Him, people who were against Him, He was dying for those very people. Pray for those who persecute you. The Scripture tells us that as He was being nailed to the cross, He prayed for those who were nailing Him to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Everything that He instructed us to do, He did it at the cross. And all of that stuff was done for people who don't deserve it. Us. Jesus has called us not to retaliate, but to love people who don't deserve our love. And He hasn't just told us to do it, He's done it. I don't deserve the love, the mercy, and the grace of Jesus. But I have received it because of what He did on the cross. And there's not a one of you here that deserves the love, the mercy, and grace of Jesus. But you can receive it if you believe that what He did on the cross is real. The Apostle Paul put it this way. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he said, In your Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, when I say that I can't or won't forgive someone when they do me wrong, when I say that I'm going to hold a grudge or that I'm going to retaliate when someone is mean to me, then I make a mockery of what Jesus did on the cross. I'm going to close with prayer, and this is what I want, I want to challenge you to do. The large majority of you in here are regular church people. There's some of you here today, and I hope there's more than I know about, who this might be one of your first, second, third, or fourth Sundays, and I'm really glad that you're here. But the majority of you are regular church people, and, and, and here's what I understand about you, because I am one of you, is that it can be easy for us to hear a message every week and walk out there and try to live what we hear, but we're doing it on our own. And I'm telling you, If you've been living for a long time trying to forgive, trying to turn the other cheek, 
trying to walk the extra mile, and you've been doing it on your own, you're failing at it. It's not because you're a bad person. It's because you're a person, and you're going to fail at it. So maybe you're here today, and you think, I got this guy that I got to forgive. I hate my dad. I hate my boss. I hate my husband, my ex-husband, my ex-wife, whatever it is. And you need to let go of that. I want to challenge you to give that stuff up and believe that the power of the cross can work in your life and can be real for you. Now, if you're here and you're new and this is all new to you, you need to understand that the power of the, Christ, power of the cross and what Christ did on the cross can forgive your sin. Because you can't work long enough, hard enough, and fast enough to do away with your sin. The only way that it can happen is to allow Jesus to take it over. So I'm going to pray, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer. First of all, if you're here today and you need to accept Jesus as your Savior, you believe what I just read about the cross, and you think, yeah, that's true. I understand that happened, and you want that to be a part of your life. I'm going to pray a prayer, and you pray these words after me. And if you pray these words after me and you mean them in your heart, the Scripture says that Jesus will live in you, that you will be made a new person, that you will be forgiven of sin, and you can begin to follow Him. And if you do that, I want you to come tell me after the service. Say, I prayed that prayer. I don't understand what it's all about, but I prayed it. And then I'm going to say a prayer for those of you who are already followers, and that we would all, as followers, live by these words, and we would allow Jesus to do it through us. So let's pray. If you're here and you need to accept Jesus, you pray these words after me. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I believe you did that for me. I know that I've sinned. And I know that I can't fix my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I trust in you today. I trust you for forgiveness and I trust you for a new life. And I will follow you for the rest of my life. Amen. If you prayed that, I want you to tell me at the end of the service. Now let me close this with prayer for everybody else. Father, you have taught us in your word about how we should live. And those words can be hard to live by. In fact, really almost impossible. And so we acknowledge today, God, that we can't turn the other cheek without your help. We can't walk the extra mile without your help. We can't love our enemies and pray for those who do us wrong without your help. And so I pray for myself and I pray for every other person in here that you would give us your power, the power of the cross and the resurrection this week as we relate to people that you would help us to forgive. God, I pray for people in here that are right now, they're holding grudges. And that is a bitterness in their heart that's weighing them down. I pray that they would give that up. And we look forward to what you're going to do. We look forward to relationships that are going to be mended, to, um, to just the good that you're going to do through your word and through the practice of your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.